The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. It is time to listen to the Biscuit Podcast. It's so delicious. It is full of interviews with Charlotte leaders, makers, and doers. There is so much creative stuff in this town. Hope you're hungry. It's biscuit time. So much more than beaches and mountains so close. Biscuit time. We have banks, but there is a whole lot more here. Please be hungry. It's biscuit time. Pull a seat up beside our fair queen. It is biscuit time. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Miner, and I want to welcome you to the November 14th batch of the Biscuit Podcast, your weekly audio exploration of the creative community in Charlotte. We've got a great episode today. Um, I get to talk to some people that are you need to know. Uh, first up, it's Emmanuel and Adrian Threat. Um, just an amazing married couple. We we started out wanting to talk about their project for the homeless called Hope Vibes, and really kind of backed into an episode of Creative Besties because not only um, are they great creatives in their own right. Uh, creatives that that put their innovative ideas into action through philanthropy, but they are a married couple and they're delightful. I think they could teach us a lot about working together. The second half of the podcast is a conversation I got to have with Charles Thomas. Now, you may not know his name, but I guarantee you that his work has impacted you in some way. He is the director of Charlotte's Office of the Knight Foundation and the Knight Foundation is investing in Charlotte kind of in every corner with particular interest and attention right now on the historic West End. So a few weeks ago, the Knight Foundation announced um, $700,000 in new grants that it was awarding to nine organizations doing creative and innovative work in the West End, which is an area around Johnson C. Smith University that has incredible history, um, but kind of has been forgotten and a little mistreated over the last few years. Um, that $700,000 is just part of an overall $5 million that the Knight Foundation has pledged to that area just since 2015. Um, What I didn't get to talk to Charles about because they announced it just a few days later is the fact that the Knight Foundation is giving $10 million to the overall costs of rebuilding the main library uptown. Um, what they are going to put together, if you haven't seen the architectural drawings, is astounding. Um, it's beautiful, but it, it really is like a, a cathedral to ideas and education. Um, it's, it's just going to be a, a kind of, I hate to say it, like a crowning achievement um, in Charlotte. Uh, and it's interesting because I, I would say... When I was a kid, the library was just an ever-present part of my life, and with the internet and uh, you know easy handheld access to information, I think that libraries, particularly the one uptown, have just kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. But this new building is going to be a reminder that libraries are critically important. They are places where education and information collide with creativity and innovation. They're places where the community can gather to share ideas or share their works. And they are very visceral, imposing reminders that 
the ability to learn, to educate oneself, to create opportunities for oneself through that, and to gather and share ideas is something that's a right. It's something that everyone should demand and expect, regardless of how much money is in their bank account. And so it's incredible that that the uh, Knight Foundation is helping us reimagine what the library can be in our lives. I also just think the timing is amazing because it happened at the end of a week that started with the defeat of the quarter cent sales tax referendum. And we talked about that last week. Whether you are pro-tax or anti-tax, I think you're hard-pressed to make an argument that arts, culture, innovation, and creativity are not absolutely vital to Charlotte. And so whereas some may have seen Tuesday as a defeat, here comes the private sector to really make some pretty incredible and astounding investments in the future of all those things in Charlotte. Um, and one thing that's kind of flown under the radar is, um, whereas it's not doesn't have as many zeros as 700,000 or 10 million, um, the Carolina FinTech Club, led by City Councilman Tark Bakari, um, had put up $10,000 of their own money and uh, were inviting people to submit creative, innovative, unique, um, non-traditional ideas for how to tackle economic mobility challenges in Charlotte. Um, you know, what's significant is that Tark was one of the chief opponents of the tax, but at least in my dealings with him and with this initiative I just talked about, he may be thinking differently than I think or, or you or others about how to fund it, but not the necessity of doing things to fund, empower, and encourage creativity and creative thought in Charlotte. And so that gives me a lot of hope. Whereas last week may have started out on a, as a downer for many of us, I think it ended with, uh, with a, a lot of hope. Um, and even with this this challenge that the fintech club put out there, they had over a hundred applications, and that's by Tark's account. They had to extend the deadline a week. So, again, how we fund those things may be up for debate. But whether Charlotte has them in abundance and they're important, that ain't up for debate. And that that's something we can be excited about. All right, here endeth my lesson. Let's get into the show. I want to thank. Our amazing sponsors, Crescent Communities, Ortho Carolina, and Four Eyes Productions. I want to remind you that we are very proudly a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. I want to ask that if you love this podcast, you give us five-star reviews on the podcast platform of your choice because those ratings help more people find us. Um, and then also to say that as hard as Matt Olin and our producer Andy Go and I work on this podcast to take you on explorations of Charlotte. We don't know everywhere. We don't know everyone. So if you've got ideas about people, places, things, initiatives, ideas that we should champion on this show and share with our listeners, please, please tell us. Reach out to hello at charlotteiscreative.com. We will be thankful. We will send you a kind word and probably like our version of a digital high five because we need all the Sherpas we can get. This is a big city and there's creativity bursting forth in every corner and three people can't cover it all. So with that, let's jump into the show. Hey 
everyone. It's uh, Tim Miner, and the Biscuit Podcast is on the road today. I'm sitting in one of my favorite haunts, Community Matters Cafe, uh, with Emmanuel and Adrian Threet, the co-founders of Hope Vibes. And they've not only have they been doing exciting work in Charlotte for a while, you may have seen um, their presentation at Seed 20. And I will, will or will not get into the fact that you may or may not have been robbed in this person's opinion. Oh, whether I mean, I love everyone that won in a way. That's the problem with C20, right? Is like everybody that's on the stage deserves to get money. Right. But I may have gone on some like chat room boards later and been like, man, did you see the ref got that call wrong? No. <laughs> At any rate, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Hope Vibes and what you're, what you're doing there. And then you've got a really exciting opportunity for creatives to help you along the way. So how are you guys doing? We're doing good. It's good. It's good. Real good. <laughs> it's all smiles over here. All smiles. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell tell me a little bit about how the, the two of you met and then yeah. how Hope Vibes got started and what and what your mission is. Like what do you right. want to accomplish? Yeah. So we met decades ago. Has it been decades? <laughs> Would that say that right? No, it hasn't been decades. I guess I mean it's almost 18 years. Yeah, 18 years. Uh, we've known each other for that length of time, but we've been married for 12 years. And so um, it's been a fun ride. Um, and it's always fun, even now. Uh, she's my best friend, and so I'm excited to have but we're her. we're not married yet. Uh, we're not married. In the friend I'm zone. still in the friend zone. I'm still Just in the kidding. friend zone all these years. <laughs> Our son came from the friend zone. I, I don't know. <laughs> No, but um, so Hope Vibes officially started two years ago, 2017. But um, and I let her give the backstory on that officially starting. But for me, it started on our first date when we were walking uptown Charlotte and just, you know, I'm doing the, the gentlemanly thing, holding doors open and making sure she's good. And it's a nighttime, even like nighttime um, scenery. You know, if you can imagine Charlotte during this time. And we walking around, I look over at her and she is bawling her face out. Like she is crying like I did something wrong or my breath was stinking or like I had, you know, some bad BO or something like that. <laughs> and uh, but I, I so I asked her, I'm like, hey, what's wrong? And she we had just walked over, like walk, not walked over, but walked past a uh a homeless neighbors laying on the ground sleep. And so she was like, I, I want to do more. I want to, I want to help this person out more than what I can do. And I can't do anything really right now. Um, and so like, for me, that was the the spark, the really the start of like what we call hope vibes. Now. I mean, we didn't have a name back then. It just was being kind. And so from that moment, we, I mean, we would find opportunities to just, have conversations with some of our homeless neighbors, invite them to, to dinner, invite them to lunch, um, provide little things here and there. I mean, back then and even now, we don't have like personally a lot of resources to do certain things. And so, but we would just make it, make intentional efforts just to treat people with respect and kindness. And so that for me started the the spark of Hope Vibes and seeing her compassion for our homeless neighbors like I hadn't really seen before. But that was 10 years before Hope Vibes actually started. Like, Hope Vibes was not a, even a thought yet. Um, so two years ago, a little over two years ago, I was wasting some time on Facebook 
in between meetings and um, I found a video of a homeless lady that was sharing about dealing with her uh, menstrual cycle while living on the streets. And um, while I had always had a compassion for homelessness, I had never thought about that aspect of homelessness. And so I watched it a few times back to back and sat there and cried. And then I did what everybody does. We share it on Facebook. And um, so I shared it and all my friends were like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that either. What are you going to do about it? And I was like, yo, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sharing for awareness purposes. And it was crazy because there was like so many comments in that thread. Like people were saying like, when you go out, I want to go out with you. And I was like, I never said I was going out. And people were volunteering to bring items. And um, it was just like, such a huge response that one of my friends was like, okay, Adrian, this is what you're going to do. You're going to set a day and invite all these people that said they wanted to help you to an interest meeting. And so we did that and we scheduled a day to start going out that following month. And that's kind of how I got started very unintentionally. Um, even at that point, we weren't thinking we're starting an organization. It wasn't until like a few months later as every time we went out, there was a larger group of volunteers meeting us there, people we didn't even know. Um, and people started giving us money. And so we were like, oh, we should probably make this kind of legit then since like there's a lot of people coming, there's now money coming. We need some accountability and stuff set in place. And so that's kind of how Whole Vibes got started. And it's been an interesting journey because I've, I've been thinking like for the past week or so, like I never would have imagined like two years ago that this is what we'd be doing. And so it's been pretty cool. And it's, it's, kind of hard too because I mean I'm still not at a place where I can do all that I would like to do for my homeless neighbors like on our way here we drove by a guy when we t came off of um, the Moorhead Road exit and he was literally sleeping on the sidewalk and it's like it's almost like a deja vu moment like from 10 years ago it's like man I wish I could do more um, and I, I am doing more than I was doing 10 years ago but I want to help people get off the streets so well, the first thing I'd, I'd say is I'm going to commend you on your choice of friends because I think that um, they they did two really powerful things for you, right? The first was, what are you going to do about it? I think that I can say in my own life, um, we all have thoughts. We all have things that strike our fancy or, gosh, I someone should do something about that. And we need to have people around us to push us forward and say, okay, Adrian, so what? To nudge us from kind of being inert. Um, I think the second is is that you said yes, and when you say yes to things, you never know what direction that's going to take you. I, I, an interesting aspect of what you talked about, though, is we live so much of our lives, or large segments of the population live so much of our lives online now. Um, you guys took what was an online experience, and it's easy to click share or to make an unhappy face or a crying face. And you brought that into the real life. You know, how has that, how have you seen that? Moving people from it being a very theoretical concept or something that's happening over there to now noticing that person who's literally in front of me on the, sleeping on the sidewalk. How has that impacted you and the people that you've served or people that have participated in Hope Vibes? I think for me, I always tell people that like, you know, where social media often gets a bad rep, like Facebook literally pushed us into our purpose. And so... Um, for me, that's been life-changing. Because um, like I said, I never would have anticipated starting a nonprofit. I never would have anticipated starting a nonprofit serving the homeless, even though I had a heart for, for the homeless. And so that's been really amazing to see it play out. And social media is like 
the main platform that we use to get the word out about what we do, that and word of mouth. But it all seems to always start with social media. And um, it's been amazing because typically the volunteers that we have coming out, anywhere from like 40 volunteers to, I mean, we've had up to like 200 volunteers on a serve day. And the majority of them are not necessarily people we know. There's new people coming every time and they heard through social media. Um, and it takes it from just a article that they see on on Facebook or a news report that they see about affordable housing and how there's nowhere for people to stay who you know don't meet certain averages in in salary um, to being face to face with like this major crisis. And so you have people who might live on like Lake Norman coming out to volunteer with us, and they go to a tent camp and realize, okay, these are real people. Um, who, I mean, they have just as much value as I do. Um, and now they're, they're moved to want to do something about it. And so um, it's a very eye-opening experience for many people, and it challenges them to be an active part of becoming a solution cultivator. When I encounter somebody who says, or still is kind of laboring under the misconception that homelessness is, for, for the wide majority of the homeless population, it's a choice, or it's because they were lazy, it says to me that that's a person that hasn't spent much time talking to people who are homeless and realized that so many of us are a month away, two months away, one catastrophic life thing happening from being in a very similar situation. And that, yes, and I, I think, too, you guys are smart in the sense that, um, you know, it's like when you're on an airplane uh, and, and they say you've got to put the, the oxygen on yourself before you can help the person sitting next to you, you guys have to make sure that you are, are thriving um, so that you can continue to help people in need. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the thing. Most people don't realize that our homeless neighbors, most of them have jobs, maybe multiple jobs, um, but they just don't make enough to make that transition into you know having stable housing, right? Um, and then we're talking about community so a lot of our homeless neighbors, they might not have this established community around them. So if you think about it, like I'm from Charlotte, um, she's from Fayetteville. Um, if something were to happen to us financially, like, you know, catastrophically, we have family around us to be like, hey, come stay with us. Or, you know, I'm saying our support system is here. Well, a lot of times our homeless neighbors don't have either they moved here from somewhere else for a job and that didn't work out or they are passing through or something along that those lines. And so they don't have the support system around them to say, hey, or or for whatever reason, choices, um, their support system is like hands off, you know. And so with that, it's like. Well, you're in a bad situation. They, they, they don't have anybody around them. And so that's one of our, our jobs is we feel like, we, you know, we're connecting people, even to some of our homeless neighbors, to their um, support systems. You know what I'm saying? Creating those. So building relationships with them, saying, hey, you got people here for you. Um, so, yeah. And I think part of uh, what we do, too, is debunking some of those misconceptions because, people have this idea of what it means to be homeless and why people are homeless 
and you know they should just work hard like I worked hard and get out of that situation and it's not always that simple and so um, social me- we, we kind of help build that awareness through social media but then we also go into the school systems and we share in classrooms from kindergarten on up to the college level um, we're going to churches, businesses, just helping people to see things from a different perspective and then encouraging them to actually come out and see for themselves. Because, like, once you have a conversation with a person, it changes your view of what you thought it means to be a homeless person. And then to see it, it's, this is right here in my city. Like, it changes you. Right before... Uh we met up today. Uh, I was having a. Uh, I was being interviewed about the notion of kinship, you know, and and what that means and what it means to a city. How do you think that plays in? Is the average Charlottean recognizing a kinship with the people that are here? How how would that impact your work or perception of the homeless? Do you think? Uh, honestly, I think it's it, it goes beyond. That's a great question. It goes beyond just even just homeless and that touches all issues like i was thinking about yesterday so we we go out went out to eat and for lunch and we are it it was raining you know off and on yesterday and there was a older man parked his car and he parked his car like really close on the line of the parking spot he he has a cane and he comes out of the where the the i think he went to the dentist or whatever and he the car that parked beside him Park too close. He can't get in his car. Like, there's no way that this man can get in the, get in the car. And so we are seeing this kind of play out. And because of his disability with his leg, he wouldn't have been able, like, for us, yeah, we would have just went through the passenger so door. Over, right. We would have fussed about it, but we would have went through the passenger door and crawled over. Well, right. he wasn't going to be able to do that. It's not possible. And so that moment, it's like, okay, if this was my dad or my grandfather, how would I respond? And so it's like that mindset, like, okay, well, we need to help. All right, so she gets out and goes and and pr- pretty much asks to move his car for him. She gets in there, he moves the car. And it's like, but if more people had that that frame of mind, like, okay, this is not just a stranger, but this is, you know, could potentially be my father, my brother, my sister, whoever, there's a different kind of responsibility that we have for one another to make sure that we're good. Um, and if we just imagine if a society, the city had that kind of kinship um, where we are working together and seeing a person more than just, you know, that guy over there, but like we're family, potentially, man, we're talking about a, a society change. Like, I mean, you're, you're changing the whole dynamic of things where people are taken care of like never before. Yeah, I, th- I think that that has er- eroded. Now, I'm not going to be so nostalgic to say there was this brotherhood of man thing and everybody was taking care of everybody, but I do think even within tight populations that people have, even if it's down to neighbor, the neighbor, neighbor level. Yeah. Um, we have conflated the notion of being a busybody, mm-hmm. you know, with just general kindness and being mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, we see the example of, well, somebody dropped their kid off at the park, so another person called yeah. the cops on them. Yeah. That's so extreme that that prevents us from doing even a simple act of kindness, which is this gentleman can't get into his car. Right. And, I, and so if we can't even do that level, that is going to impact helping somebody who maybe doesn't look desirable to you yeah. for whatever reason. Help them, you know, give yeah. them the, the help and the leg up or even the kind word that they yeah. that they need. Yeah. Um, so and, and I think that's why your work is so important. Uh, and I, what I have loved from the outside looking in is that um, 
homelessness is a serious topic. Um, it is a it's a challenge. It's a problem that we have to address. But there is a joyfulness about the way that you two go about your work. And, and the face that you present on Hope Vibes. Even the word hope and vibe, it's just, yeah. everything is about, you know, it's not, you didn't create the alliance to end homelessness. <laughs> you know, you started with hope and, and you know, those vibes resonate yeah. f from the two of you and from, the, from your organization. And I think one of the things that I'm amazed by is how you want to make the tank not just a utility vehicle, but just beautiful in every way and one of the things you did was a contest called paint the tank right can you tell us about yeah. that adrian so paint the tank is basically a community effort that we put out there to encourage local artists to submit designs for the exterior of the tank and so we're really excited about that because we really wanted it to not just even be seen as a mobile laundry and shower vehicle but we wanted it to be one of charlotte's murals and so it's a mobile art mural um, and, and so we're excited. We have Bella Fame that's been selected to design the exterior of that of the Hope Tank, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's important again to for us, and it goes back to just our fundamental mission that it's. And you have mentioned it that it's not like a stagnant, stale kind of uh, image that we want to put out. Like obviously, homelessness is a very ser serious topic. But there's a way that we are, I feel like we're supposed to carry ourselves and let that hope just resonate. And it's, and hope should be, you know, fun. It should be joyful. It should be colorful. Um, and that's the reason why we're like, hey, let's not just, you know, do a static kind of picture or our, the, the Hope Vibes logo on the side, but let's create something that the, the passerby can see and can get inspired by. Uh, our homeless neighbors can look at it and be like, man, just looking at this image gives me hope. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we decided to do like this whole paint the tank um, because, man, it's, th this world could be so grim and dark and gloomy. And you know, you look at the issues like, oh my gosh, but there's actually a lot of color, a lot of hope and, and joy that can be displayed if we just, you know, take a little extra time to, to think creatively, so. People often try to reduce challenges like homelessness to just the, just the needs, like, you know, giving someone food, like you would put oil in your car to make sure that it doesn't, you know, your engine doesn't seize. And I, I think people forget that mind-body interface, that soul is just as important as the physical needs and bringing a little light into someone's world, particularly if there's someone who um, feels marginalized or is dealing with the worst and most challenging situation they can, giving them a glimmer of hope or just a vision of beauty, that's a kindness and that's as necessary as making sure they're fed, clothed, their medical needs are met. Give them a reason to, to want to keep fighting that fight. So that's really important what you guys are doing. Even in the exterior, we want to make sure that it's not just like some sterile looking environment. Like we want it to feel like they've stepped into a piece of home, you know, like it's a whole experience of like this sense of restoring of dignity and my sense of humanity through cleanliness. And so um, we're really excited about it as a whole, like the outside, the inside, the whole thing, like it's a, a moment of hope. I love that idea of a mobile mural. I mean, Bella Fame is, that's, that's legit. I mean, she's, she's an incredible artist. So um, that's great. I mean, just something that, that people can, 
we can use creativity and art to lift every aspect of our of our lives. Um, okay, Andy, this is going to be a backtrack. I want to throw this question toward the beginning because we're going to recast this as creative besties, and I'm going to ask them a question and then re-record a little bit of the intro. So, you know, obviously you guys have a wonderful connection and your 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 partners and best friends, right? And we love on this podcast exploring that 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 kinship, that relationship that two creative people have. But now there's a lot of it, right? I mean, now you're married and you you're working together on a on a project that probably has taken over just about everything. How's that going? And I'm going to ask each of you. This might be uncomfortable to say what the other brings out in you and why, why they're a good, why they're your creative bestie as well as your life partner. You go first. <laughs> Let's see. What Adrian brings out in me, I think she brings out in me the ability to be, um, confident in myself so like one of my internal issues is I, I'm really I can be really hard on myself or like not give myself enough value in the things that I do like creatively or just you know just doing life and so she reminds me that no you're valuable like you you don't say that like that like no you you got this and she is very if I slip up and say something that is not Along those lines, she would be very quick to look, give me the look like, boy, you better get your mind right. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> that is not how, how it works over here. And so um, she definitely brings out the best in me in that aspect and a lot of other aspects. But in that one specifically, because that happens often. Like it's just, I mean, I, I, I can be very insecure at, in certain things. And she makes sure that, no, hey, you're, you're, you're valuable. You have something to offer. And it's better than most people. Let's get it. <laughs> I think for me, he brings out my creative side. I think before before we were together, I would have never been like designing like flyers and stuff like that. I wouldn't go that far, but he taught me how to do all that stuff. Um, and so, and I, I don't think before I would have considered myself a creative, but um, I think he brought that side of me out. And so, I mean, I made my first little video thing a couple of weeks ago that I was really excited about. I edited it myself because normally I have an idea and then I'd be like, OK, this is my idea. You bring it to life. You make it. And so now sometimes I can have my idea and create it myself. And so that's pretty cool. And I think what makes us work really well together is we're actually friends like we like like each other <laughs> like it's not just like we love each other because we're married but we're we're literally our best friends and we enjoy hanging out with each other and I mean I tell people all the time don't marry someone that you can't be friends with because most of the time that's really how you're going to be interacting um as friends and so even though we're together all the time doing work it doesn't bother us because we actually enjoy being together see I don't know I think you I think you've got something even more special and precious than you know because my wife is my is my best friend, uh, but I don't think we could work together. <laughs> and Matt Olin is my other best friend, and I don't think I'm gonna be married to him. <laughs> so, 
what you have is pretty special. It's pretty. <laughs> He's all choked up about it. It's okay. Breathe. I'm beclumped. Breathe. Uh, can you can you can you guys imagine building hope vibes with anybody other than the person sitting opposite you? Gosh. No, not at all. Like it's it would be very difficult to do hope vibes apart from each other. I mean, I think it would be done, but it wouldn't be like it is now. Um, I mean, there's pieces that she does a lot. She does great, a lot better than I do would. And there's pieces that I do, and we everything kind of fits and flows right together. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't think we could do it. Hey, Biscuit Podcast listeners, it's Tim Miner. I'm excited to be uh, having a conversation, a little chat with one of my favorite Charlatines, Charles Thomas, who is the director of the Charlotte office of the Knight Foundation. We are at Laka Projects. And you know, Charles, you've you made some pretty exciting announcements last week, about $700,000 worth of grants that uh, that were awarded to uh, nine different groups doing work in the West End. Tell us Tell us a bit more about how that came together and what your goals are. Because, I mean, that that that's $5 million in the last, what, 10 years? That you've Four invested? years since Four 2015. Four years you've invested. Yeah, that's so, incredible. Um, we're so excited about the uh, the investment that uh, we're making in the Historic Weston, um, partnering with nine organizations that are focused um, and led by residents. And so what we feel is critical at Knight Foundation in the Historic Weston um, and in a lot of our neighborhoods, but particularly in the Weston, when you have such growth and change in our city, that it's important that residents are centered in that growth and that they're participating in the development of their district and their neighborhood and that they ultimately are benefiting from it. So these um, grants to these nine organizations are focused on organizations that are centering residents in the conversation of development. What, you know, I think um, one thing that I've been impressed by and excited, having known you from before, you took the work at, at at the Knight Foundation, and now you're three, almost four, or almost four years into this now. You you quickly identified the West End as an area that you wanted to to focus on. I mean, and, and the Knight Foundation is generous and and can get involved in every aspect of Charlotte, but that was an area that you zeroed in on rather quickly. What what about that area just commanded that respect and that attention? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question, um, Tim, because at Knight Foundation, um, though you're a foundation that has money, it uh, what I've learned over the past three and a half years is that it's still not enough money to, you know, change the whole city or change the world. And so we went through a process of looking at um, different districts in Charlotte. Um, we uh, landed on the historic West End because of the key assets in the district. You got Johnson C. Smith University, you have street streetcar that's being built, um, so you've got uh, public investment in the neighborhood. Um, it's a neighborhood that was already going through some um, growth, um, some positive growth. Um, and then you have a history. We have a very engaged population um, of residents, historic residents that um, have been in the neighborhood for a long period of time. They're proud of their African-American history, culture, and roots. And so when you put all those things together, um, our goal is that with um, a little bit of money, we're able to bring um, the community's vision to life through development, and that you can create a, a collective of residents um, that work in a collaborative manner with stakeholders in the district 
to um, engage developers, engage the city, and to make sure that the development is equitable and that the development is inclusive um, and that residents get to have their vision of having an, a neighborhood that particularly retains the culture, the history of the district, uh, while also looking to work to keep people in place. Mm-hmm. I think what really Im- impressed me when I looked at the initial press release and have spent some time with it um, is just like you said, this is not um, this is this is not some generous philanthropic effort that's being done to the people that it's going to serve, but it's being done with the people it's going to serve, uh, which again speaks to ownership, pride, dignity, longevity, um, and what. Looking at the list of projects that were funded, I mean, first off, they run the gamut, right? Everything from land to communication to training, grant writing. Um, I I love that it feels very much like a you're handing out fishing poles as opposed to fish. So you're giving the people of the West End tools that they're going to need to keep this going and 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 go in their own directions beyond the scope of the grant program. Um, Absolutely, because. um, there are already so many um, uh, engaged in um, um, residents in the West End that have years of experience, you know, working um, in their district for their district, advocating for their district. Um, what they have not had um, uh, has been the resources and the money. Um, and so, what I'm uh, proud of with these grants is that it gives them some dollars to to continue to do to work on, you know, a building affordable housing with the the West Side Land Trust to. Um, helping to develop the the corridor with the historic Western partners, working with small businesses. So this work was already in process. Now we're helping to give some dollars to to formalize the work. And then on top of that, yes, we we like to partner with groups like United Way to make sure that um, these leaders are getting um, the training and um, access to information that helps them to be um, more um, impact um, more impactful in their neighborhood. So uh, again, a great mix. What what role has the university, or do you think the university will play in the, you know, in the future of the West End? So Johnson C. Smith University, um, Charlotte's historically black university, um, plays a crucial and key role. They're a key asset in the district. Um, they're a, a, a large property owner in the historic West End, particularly around Five Points. Um, they have you know great um, students, um, great um, faculty. Um, and they've been playing a role um, from a land development perspective, from um, engaging community to helping around food access. So they have um, this program called the Sustainability Village, which actually has an aquaponics um, lab. Yeah, this is what Dr. O what, set up. Yeah, yeah Dr. Otenbuer, um set up. Um, they have been a partner with um, producing farmers markets in the neighborhood. Um, they also have key um, parcels of land um, and partnership um with the Duke Endowment that we feel are going to be critical to um, the development of the district. So they are right in the middle um, of the development, and we see them as a, as a key partner along with the residents and other stakeholders there. I, I think that, you know, as a longtime Charlotte, Charlottean, it, it feels that this, that this recognition for the West End is, is a long time coming, way overdue. Uh, and I love that it's, it's – um, it's happening on on the terms of the people who live there historically, right? Uh, I was amazed we had creative mornings at uh, uh, Johnson C. Smith a couple of weeks ago, or month, weeks. Here's how much time is moving on. It was a few months ago, 
and had a full house in Biddle Hall, which was an ex- kind of an electric morning. But then we asked the question, how many people are stepping foot on campus for the first time ever? And um, I mean, 80% of the room's hands shot up. And you have to, that was a bit of a, of a bucket of cold water because just the importance of having a, you know, an active and longstanding HBCU in Charlotte is something that I think every Charlottean should should have on their on their fingertips, you know, to say and be excited about and proud of. I mean, that's they're a proud part of our tradition here, and I'm I'm glad to hear they're they're really involved. Absolutely, and so um, yeah, I mean that happens quite a bit in terms of people feeling like it's the first time being in the West End. It's a, unfortunately a product of our city that's been segregated for years. Um, intentionally um, by income and by race. And so now we're seeing folks um, getting to experience um, the district in in a positive way, whether it be uh, uh, going to Johnson C. Smith University, great college, um, where folks should consider not only as undergrad, but as continuing education. Um, uh, But you also are getting to begin to experience some of the culture and the art of the district. We've got some murals that are coming up. Um, We've got plans. We've had um, music festivals and there's been a history of West Fest. Um, and so there's a desire by the residents to bring back those festivals that help to make um, the West End a, a destination. Um, and so um, so the future holds that, you know, f- uh, the fewer and fewer people, it'll be their first time. It'll be a part of their Charlotte experience that they come to the West End for food, entertainment, um, uh, for um, an experience in African-American history and culture. Yeah, that, that's obviously a preoccupation of ours, which is just telling people to get lost in Charlotte, just to explore, right? It's it, arguable, depending on where you live in Charlotte, you may not need to leave that three-mile bubble around your house if, if you're particularly in South Charlotte, but just get out and see everything, particularly if you're saying, oh, there's no history here, I don't... I, I don't you know, I don't get it. I don't get what Charlotte's all about. That West End is just full of it. It's like it's it's incredible to see just how much is there. Um, so let's just I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do your performance evaluation in 10 years, Charles. Right. In 10 years, what do you what do you hope to be able to look back and see that this not only the seven hundred thousand dollars, but the five million dollars that you've spent to this point over the last four years, and then and the potential, five million more that we'll and spend, the, well, yeah, <laughs> and the and the more you know, the more investment that will happen, the future investment. What do you hope the outcome is? If when someone's looking as you're going around the country saying to other night found night cities, hey, this is a this is a white paper on what we were able to accomplish, or what the residents rather of West End were able to accomplish with the ability we gave them. What do you hope that your legacy will be? So um, uh, we hope our legacy at Knight Foundation um, in Historic West End, particularly around Johnson C. Smith at Five Points, is a legacy where when you enter that district, it feels like you're walking into a university village. So what's forgotten is Johnson C. Smith is less than a mile away from Johnson and Wales University. Uh, there's a highway that cuts it off. And so right now you walk in, you don't necessarily see folks walking on the street, having uh, eating at a cafe or, you know, having coffee. And so uh, in 10 years, you will see a mix of people walking there, a mix of incomes, a mix of ages, a mix of races, um, experiencing uh, amenities that every neighborhood wants to have, whether it be food or entertainment. Um, and so and then on top of that, what I hope is a part of our legacy is also um, we won't have this completely solved, but figuring out ways how we can help keep people in place, you know, help folks um, again 
um, leverage change to, to improve um, wealth um, and opportunity, um, but also give them a chance to stay in the midst of change so they can get access to those amenities that have not been there before. So um, when you look back 10 years from now, you have a model of what I call equitable development, where it's development um, that is inclusive and very considerate of, you know, how do we create benefits for the folks that have been here um, and that you are seeing um, the trends for that. Um, I think we need probably maybe 20 years to get it complete, but you'll 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 see it in 10. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, at least from where I'm sitting, is that I, it seems like the West End is going to help make a transition in the in the mindset of people that the the value and worth of a of a community transcends its geographic location or the physical structures are there right that that the true wealth of that neighborhood is in the the companionship and the relationships that you form with people that are f- of and from there you know that it's not just the buildings but it's the people that inhabit the buildings particularly those that have been there for a long time absolutely and you know my hope is that you know through the art um through really interesting technology that the stories of the West End are kept. You know, we've got some really cool projects um, uh, that um, I'll hold off from talking about, but <laughs> I know I keep, I keep teasing you, Donna. It's all right. This is good. This is good. Just an, as you but said, this is an appetizer. This is just the beginning. Yeah, there's more to come. But, you know, there's a, a new park being built um, right at Five Points, an urban park. Um, and we're hoping that through the art and through the stories that, um, that uh, the history that we're able to bring the stories to life. And so that when you're going through the district, it's not only food and um, entertainment, but you get to experience culture um, as you move through there and hear the wonderful history of civil rights leaders, the history of you know founders of universities and doctors and physicians, the history of a, a middle-class African-American neighborhood um, come to life, come to, to life um, for Charlotte to um, remember and to enjoy now um, and in the future. All right. Well, we're going to consider this. I'm holding you to this. This is a nibble for the biscuit. There's a there's a there's a bigger meal to come. That's right. I have a feeling. That's right. This All is right. just a little jelly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank for you your for biscuit. your time. <laughs> jelly for the biscuit, everybody. That's right. jelly for the biscuit. All right. Well, we're not gonna we're, we're gonna keep following up with you because great things are are happening. And uh, thanks for thanks for spending some time. Yeah, with thanks us for having me on. All right. Talk Take to you care, soon, Charles. Thanks again to Emmanuel and Adrian Threets and Charles Thomas for speaking with us. And of course, thank you, the listener, for tuning into the Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell your friends. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast was produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings.